Dotnet Rocks episode 893 with guest Scott Stanfield. Recorded live Thursday, July 25th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Donnet Rocks, Carl and Richard, and uh, here we are. What's up, my friend, my Canadian uh, friend? There's construction going on in my cul-de-sac, so hopefully the noise is not going to be too bad. Are you building again? No, no, it's not me. No, I'm, I'm not. You're not putting in that hydraulic lift you threatened us with? No, no, I am not doing that. We are talking about uh, renovating the rec room, but maybe that's next year. Yeah, all right. It's been four years since the house rebuilt. Well, and your, your house is clearly the, the most recently renovated on the block so uh, yeah there's a couple other that uh, have gone since us now so that's it's, good it's, it's still good. going on the whole neighborhood's redeveloping always always good and uh i'm working on my new album been a while which oh, really? features a song that uh, john Schofield played on that is going to be available soon and uh what else can i say oh uh, Lifeboat to Nowhere by Franklin Brothers, you know, our our album from 2011. Yep, in my playlist. I have tons of CDs that I want to give away. Cool. So I think I'll give away one every show. Beautiful. Yeah. Starting today. And if anybody wants a CD, just let me know. Just send me an email. I'll send if you one. If you're a fan of the show, .nrocksfranklist.net, we'll see what we can do for you. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's kick off uh, this show with Better No Framework. Awesome. <laughs> So what do you got, buddy? This is Windows Azure time. Azure time. Here at Prop Studios. Oh, yeah. Because of the new uh, promotion. There's so much happening here. So uh, we're going to be starting some new ads. Uh, Microsoft is sponsoring the Windows Azure MSDN activation sweepstakes. And there is a car, an Aston Martin V8 Vantage sports car that they're going to give away. But that's really not the cool part. The cool part is that if you are an MSDN subscriber, you already have free Windows Azure credits. So all you have to do is uh, you, you could stand up your personal website, experiment with building your own custom dev test environment using Azure virtual machines, and, and activating it doesn't require a credit card anymore. Right. You just If you've already got an, an MSDN account, you just go in, turn it on. You got to fill in a form. They don't require any money from you. You get a credit every month because of your MSDN subscription. I believe the Ultimate Edition subscription gives you $150 a month, which yeah. is a lot of Azure time. It's really cool. And so if you go to aka.ms slash Azure rocks, you can activate from there. And please use that uh, please use that URL because you're hearing about it here, aka.ms slash Azure Rocks. Now, uh, if you get in, the, the sweepstakes is if you activate before September 30th, you're automatically entered to win this 2013 Aston Martin V8 Vantage. And uh, wouldn't that be cool? And no, Richard and I are not eligible to win. Nope. We can't win. And even if even we though were, we are doing, we are using Azure now for .NET Rock. That's right. And even if we were eligible, if we won, you'd hate us. Yes, and we'd be killed. Yeah, and so nobody wants to die. We're not in the business of being hated. So uh, now that's the first half of Better Know Framework. 
And that will become a regular ad in the show. And I hope you will check it out because, heck, it's free and you get it. You already have it. So uh, what I want to talk about is a 13-step process to publishing a website in Azure, in Azure Websites. And all I did for this was I had my code. It, you know, it accesses files because that was been, that's been my big thing, right? Until we talked to Scott Guthrie and no Azure websites, you can reference files and folders and all that stuff. And there's no, right. there's nothing that you have to do differently in most websites. So step one is get the Azure tools, you know, go to windowsazure.com, download the tools. It's different. If you're in Visual Studio 2012, you can just go to the cloud project types. And then there's a thing there where you can da- automatically download the stuff that you need. But in earlier versions, you have to do it a little bit differently, I believe. Uh, number two, open your ASP.NET website in Visual Studio. Number three, log into windowsazure.com and go to the portal. And on the left, select websites this is number four. And then click the plus button on the bottom to add a new website. Five, select quick create and enter the name of the website minus the top level domain. So if it's, you know, mydomain.com, the name of the website will be my domain. Number six, go to the dashboard and click on the link that says download the published profile. This will download a file that you need in Visual Studio in order to publish that site. All right. So number seven, in Visual Studio, right-click on the project in the Solution Explorer after it's built and tested and edited and everything, and select Publish Website. So then you'll be asked to provide the published profile. You browse that file you downloaded from Azure, which is typically in your Downloads folder, and it also contains the name of the website. In that website, it'll come up. Number nine, so if you want to apply a DNS name to it, because what happens is you get a URL, let's say it's, uh, you know, uh, .netrocksisawesome.com, all right? Right. So you will get a domain, .netrocksisawesome.azurewebsites.net. That DNS entry will be automatically made for you, okay? So obviously it has to be unique. But if you want your own DNS name, like you have, uh, you know, .netrocksisawesome.com, you want to associate that, first you have to go to the Scale tab from the website settings in the Azure portal, and then change the website mode from free to shared. And, of course, you're going to have to pay for it, all right? Mm-hmm. Now, go to your DNS profile. We use DN Simple here, but, you know, Network Solutions, GoDaddy, wherever you are. And uh, you need to add two CNAME records. The first one will be AWVerify. So, awverify.netroxisawesome.com or whatever. And you need to point that to uh, awverify.yourdomain.azurewebsites.net. So, it be awverify.netroxisawesome. Dot azurewebsites.net. And then another one will be, if you want the www alias, awverify.www will be the C name. And that'll also point to the same place. Now, what they need to, they need that because that sort of proves that you are in control of your DNS. When you say, I, this is what I want, they go and they do a lookup, and if it's correct, everything's cool. That's a good way they authenticate. And then you go to the configure tab in the uh, portal and select the green manage domains button. Mm -hmm. And now you can add your domain.com or whatever. And that's when it's going to go to your DNS and look up those AW verify things. And if it works, you get a little green checkbox. So you can add one for your domain.com or.net or whatever. And dub, dub, dub dot your domain.com or.net. And then finally, if you're ready to turn the switch, you change your a record for your domain.com to be the IP address listed there on the Managed Domains window, which, as of this recording, is 
There you go. And you're done. You're done. And you've done this a few times. I've done it a few times, yeah. Yeah, DNR TV is currently up there. Nice. Yep. As is AcousticAddicts.com, and we'll be migrating other ones up there momentarily. So there you go. Know it, learn it, love it. I hope uh, I hope you get it. And you Absolutely. know what? You might want to check CarlFranklin.net, my blog, because uh, if I get some free time, I'm going to put that together in a blog post. Yeah, that's a that is a very worthy blog post. Very searchable. Yeah, it's definitely something that f- folks are are focused on. All right. And if you do that and use your MSDN account, you're going to be entered into the sweepstakes, and you could win an Aston Martin Vantage. Very cool, huh? Yeah. All right, Richard. Who's talking to us? Hey, I grabbed. A comment off of show 887. That's the one we did with John Sonmez talking about Google Dart. Yep. And it was Stilgar who says, uh, John seems to be convinced that Google is all powerful and betting on Google is always right. Leaving alone all the products they shut down and their total failure to get into the social space despite, despite multiple attempts. What about things like Google Web Toolkit? Another mm. dead Google project. Mm. What about them dropping H264 to push V8? Mm. Never happened. Mm-hmm. Dart is an even more risky project than both of these. I'm willing to bet that John will have to compile to JavaScript forever. And if you compile to JS, TypeScript is surely a better option. In addition, WebKit is a rendering engine. It does not contain a JavaScript engine. In fact, the Blink version of Opera does not share the same JavaScript engine with Chrome. In addition, Mozilla has publicly stated that they will not support Dart and see it as damaging for the web. Unless Chrome gets a 90% market share like IE did at one point, there is zero chance for Dart VMs to ever be supported in anything but Chrome. And John actually jumped in here and said... These are great points, and I'm not sure that Dart will be the future, but I am excited about the technology and think Google has a decent chance of making it a success. It is very hard to argue with some of your points. Who knows? I could be wrong. I often am. But it is great to see projects like Dart and ASM.js, which we also talked about Mm -hmm. on that show, that are moving things forward. Because, I mean, to John's point, the goal here is JavaScript is uh, an old language that's being asked to do things that it really wasn't intended to do. And maybe it's better to create a new language. If we don't try these things and explore them, yeah, we're never going to know one way or the other. Right. It may not be the one we end up using, but we'll get some good ideas from it and somebody will do another language or look at another version of it. And, you know, who knows? And I don't know that John actually was indicating that Google is all powerful or anything like that. He, he, but, you know, Chrome's pretty compelling and it does have a significant market share. There is something to be said for, the possibility of starting to run in multiple languages. We may end up in a hybrid state at some point. Right. So I nobody knows what the future holds, and certainly uh, it's good to press against it. So Stilgar, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, you can write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for WinPhone 7, WinPhone 8, Android, iOS, and Windows 8. Oh, yeah. And those... Great apps were built by Diatom Enterprises, who'd love to build you a mobile app, too. You can reach them at diatomenterprises.com. Absolutely. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, releasing about 40 new courses a month now and offering a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. They offer a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including a whole bunch of Azure content. Try Pluralsight today and Node. Uh, Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. 
And with that, let me welcome back to the show, because he's been on many, many times, including, I think he was on the first 10, wasn't he, Scott? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Scott Stanfield. Scott is the CEO of Vertigo Software indeed, Incorporated, a four-time Emmy Award-nominated digital design and development shop in the San Francisco Bay Area and Portland. They do big video apps like the Olympics, Sunday Night Football, and the Super Bowl. He's a frequent public speaker presenting on software technology and design for the past 20 years. Before starting Vertigo in 97, Scott worked at Pixar in Point Richmond, California, which happens to be the current home of Vertigo. Scott holds BS in computer science for Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, and follow Scott on Twitter at, at C-Sharp, that's S-E-E, Sharp, or email scott at vertigo.com. Welcome back, Scott. Thanks, guys. Thank you. It was, Always. It was actually episode 11. So I know. Quite make I, 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 you know what? I knew I was number 11, and I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> well, you know, I was kind of hoping close. you'd let it go. I was close. Just let Gosh. it go. Although yeah, 10 was Chris Sells, which is when he explained Garbage Collection, like, for the first time. Yes. And that show keeps getting downloaded. Like, it never goes away. Yeah. Wow. Well, this Nobody people... listens to Scott's old show. Nobody cares about that at all. <laughs> no, no, no. Everything I said was so dated. <laughs> Hell, I was... Probably talking about BB6. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Well, garbage collection or the Olympics? Or the yes. Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So we did, we did the Vancouver Winter Olympics, and I got to stay mm. at Richard's house for that, and that was a blast. We did not do the 2010 Winter Olympics because that gig went to Google because they have a little product with a lot of reach in the video space, which you might know of as YouTube. YouTube. That was the 2012 the London that was, Olympics. That's right. And now 2014, we got Sochi coming up. So we shall see what we do for that one. I can't talk really about that at this point. But it's funny you mentioned these video apps. Of all the video apps that we've built, the one that we use the most is HBO Go. Yeah. And the cool thing about doing that is the folks working on that project, this is for Xbox 360, mm -hmm. the folks working on that product had access to the first four episodes of season two of um, Game of Thrones as our test content. Wow. So that was pretty cool. So we were on double secret probation during that time period. <laughs> I've never seen the show. I heard everybody dies at a wedding at the end. That's all I know. <laughs> Spoiler alert. That's too late Don't now. Don't ruin it. It's too late yeah. now. Yeah. No, we do. Uh, the, the video stuff's been really good to us. It's, it was, uh, it's funny if we look at the arc of my half, the last half of the Vertigo career, it starts with the 2008 Democratic National Convention. Mm -hmm. And that was, and I've talked about this before, that was live in Silverlight. That was the first live high-definition video event on the web. Yeah. And it was four days. It was, it was very dramatic. And soon after that were the sports broadcasts you talked about. But then a little something happened to Silverlight along the way, which we go back and retrospect the HTML5 folks, but mostly the, the browser vendors kind of got their act together. Yeah. It made it so Silverlight wasn't really needed for a lot of what it was being used for, which was a rich delivery mechanism for interactivity on the web. Because at the time, we just had Flash and Silverlight, but HTML5, as it gained ground in the browser wars, made it less interesting. Now, the one big feature of Silverlight left standing that, frankly, is still really valuable is video. Sure. It's, the, it's what they first shipped with Silverlight 1.0, and it continues to be a very good case for video. There's, there's also Apple's HLS protocol, which is very popular with our clients. Um, and that's how you get live video down to iOS. But smooth streaming is amazing. It's low yeah, cost. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Smooth streaming is the thing you need Silverlight for. And that's I right. guess the DRM part still, too. And the DRM. That's the, that's the dirty little three-letter acronym that is keeping 
everyone on the edge of their seat. And and the the, the thing is, you need a plug-in to get DRM because it's DRM is just not going to make it past the standards. Now, I don't know what the current current arrangement is, but you got folks like Mozilla that are contributing to the HTML5 spec. They don't want DRM in there, and I don't blame them. It is it's it's for our customers. Like we have two kinds of major clients. We have we have like uh, like the classic cable providers like Verizon, Comcast, Time Warner Cable. And then we have broadcast we have content providers that people like HBO and Showtime, Adult Swim, um, NBC Sports, they create content for consumption by the public through traditional channels and they make their money and advertising and also digital channels. And these guys got to pay the bills. It is very expensive to license NASCAR for 10 years. It's very expensive to license just any NFL property for well, a long amount of time. Speaking of, uh, you were, we were talking about Silverlight and you know video being the the thing. I guess the platform uh, determines what technology you're going to use, and uh, we're we're obviously talking Silverlight being sort of the Windows desktop. Uh, I, I I sort of think of it as the new Windows Forms. You know, if you're going to use Windows Forms or WPF, and and you you want to be able to easily deploy and all of that stuff, is Silverlight still a valuable? Uh, consideration there. Well, let me, here's the skinny on Silverlight. It's it's valuable to us because that's what we use for for Xbox 360, right? And that's it. So that's if you're going to do a, a Windows app, sort of that you want to deploy over the web, you'd still do WPF. All we care about is WinJS and HTML and CSS. All right, so you're not even doing a Windows app any Windows apps anymore. Windows 8, use WinJS and... Right, well, Windows 8. I, I'm talking about traditional yeah. desktop Windows apps. Oh, God, no. Yeah. No, those are... The, well, our deployment mechanism for that is through a URL. Right. You just hit a web page. So, no, we're not doing... I don't. I can't remember the last time we did a classic Windows application. Okay. But again, our our target market are, are the connect points, the, the devices, iOS, Android, Windows 8 as a consumption platform, but yep. Windows Phone 8, Xbox... Both Xboxes, really, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty cool. We're one of the few um, top providers for Xbox One. Right. Ooh. I don't know what I can say. I think that's public, but that's about all I can say. Right. Um, but we're very busy with that. It's good stuff. And yeah. you step back and look at it, though. So we there was this rallying cry in 2006 or, th or 2007 where we were able to focus all of the efforts of Vertigo and point them in the direction of Silverlight. And that's where we came up with uh, the Playboy Project, Hard Rock, um, Rolling Stone, these really like pretty top-tier projects, including the Olympics, all behind Silverlight. Mm -hmm. But the market has grown to include iOS and Android, duh. Yeah. And we've had to split our forces into three camps. There's the Windows camp, the iOS camp, and the Android camp. Hmm. And let me tell you, as a developer, it's really hard to jump between Xcode, Eclipse, Visual Studio, or Objective C, Java, C Sharp, and then you know where's .NET in the picture? Is it WinJS? Like I said, in HTML5 and CSS. Or have you guys thought about a, using the Xamarin tools? We our very first iOS app was built on Mono, and then Mono went away, so we ported it to Native, and that was kind of our forcing function just to learn Native. And we've we've got some folks here that just love Objective C. Yeah, we have some folks here that love Java and want to do Android. I personally. I like open web technologies. So yep. all my spare time, which is very little, but I spend a lot of time doing open source web tech. Mm -hmm. And and that's mostly because I've got a Unix box, which, well, I've got a Mac, which runs OS 10. 
yeah. which has Unix underneath it. And because I used to work at Next, I'm very familiar with that environment. So I've yeah. kind of come full circle. I just like to... Isn't that cool? I've, re- I've realized that I like to type. Yeah. <laughs> and That's cool. I really, That's I've got what coding's all about, right? It is. I love it. I love to type. If you, if you know me, you know I love, and I'm a huge evangelist around VI, or Vim, I'm sorry, the, the text editor. Right. That is far superior than Emacs. And I don't like to take my hands off the home keys. Yeah. And it's as strange as it may seem, I love the command line. And so there's an author who wrote Cryptonomicon, one of the best books ever, uh, Neil Stevenson, that has a short story about the command line. And I really resonate with that. And there's something, I, I think in terms of Unix pipes, I liked, I still know awk and said, and those skills that I learned in college have kind of come back around and are mm-hmm. very valuable today. And it allows me to stay in the shell. Um, I still, although I'm writing Node, um, learning JavaScript has been a challenge. It's it's a very powerful but funky language. I mean, it's it's got a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, fortunately, you have hinting mechanisms, but it feels like we shouldn't have hinting mechanisms mm. these days. But regardless, it's there. But um, it's been a fun circle. Um, so we, we really at Vertigo do four platforms. So what is the state of Node? I guess that's our topic today. What is the state of Node? Well, Node has kind of become the catch-all phrase for anything JavaScript related to building what I call port 80 apps. Like I care mm-hmm. about port 80, which allows me to do interesting things on the client and the server. Mm-hmm. And using the same language on both seems to be nice. I can use the same libraries on both client side and server, like underscore, which is a great, useful library. But I think, sure, Node is fast. It's you know, it's built on top of the Google V8 engine. Um, it works great in Azure. It's easy to deploy. I find that with a clean Mac or a clean Unix box, and frankly, or, I'm sorry, well, Linux, uh, and also a, a clean uh, Windows box, I can be productive with a node web or a web app in from a clean box right. completely configured in about 15 minutes. Mm. And I've, I have in my uh, GitHub repo, I've got a markdown document that I've been working on for four years. Here's what you do when you have a new Mac. Here's how you get productive. Huh. And I continue to tweak it. It's not as simple as installing visual studio and pressing F five. Right. But when you, you know, I, I, I prefer a command line interface and it works really well. It works for me. But um, th- th- I think the real business around Node is not so much Node itself. It's NPM. It's the Node Package Manager that builds this community of easily found resources. We have NuGet, of course, in .NET. Mm-hmm. But Node Package Manager makes it trivial to include new functionality. And then there's GitHub as the social platform for coding. So tell us a little more about NPM. How's, how's it work? Do you just well, end up with a URL to a, to a JS file? Let me, let me tell you about, let me use an example. There's a utility called underscore.js. The URL is underscore js.org. So what, do you ultimately end up with a link to a JS file somewhere? Well, it's, it's, let me answer that in a roundabout way. Um, let's say you're building an application that uses dates, date times. You need to do some date time manipulation. Like mm-hmm. if I have a date in the future, I don't care that's exactly 321 days mm. from now. I want to know it's about a year from now. So there, there's a utility that will calculate, quote, about a year or two weeks ago. 
huh. or it'll or it'll take a time frame and translate it into Spanish or Russian. Or so so wow. it's it's a very valuable utility and to use it in a node application. So the URL is momentjs.com. Momentjs.com. It's all about formatting using a simple JavaScript library to format dates and times. What I like about it is I included it the use of this in my application by typing npm node package manager space install space moment. Now that's been pre-registered. Mm-hmm. The, the latest version has been pre-registered with a clearinghouse, the node package manager website. And that pulls literally pulls down the source code into my project and sets it up in a subfolder called node modules. Mm-hmm. Now my source code, I, I just simply say var m equals require moment.js. Mm-hmm. And then I can use it. So m dot format string or m dot format, and I give it a date time, and it right. just works. So what I fa- so I've I've also contributed some of my own packages to uh, the Node Package Manager as well, so other people can convert Markdown to to uh, JSON, for example. Now it so, seems like Node Package Manager is something that would be used greatly used on uh, client side projects absolutely. as yeah. well. Uh, uh, totally. So this this same package will work both client side and server side, and that's the big distinction. If you have to manage dates on the client side, mm. it's the same code. You don't. Um, you could instead of using npm, you might use a program called Bower, mm-hmm. and Bower is a way for managing client side um, components. But it would be Bower install, same thing. Do all the all the packages out there use both? You know, they're registered with both. For I think the the big packages that you know the probably the top twenty or thirty, it doesn't. It's you don't have to use Bower. It makes yeah. things a little bit easier. For instance, when we start a new web project, we'll use Bower to pull down jQuery, hmm. and but we also use. Oh gosh, th- this is where. Let me back up for a second. Yeah, sure. I've spent not literally in the timeline, but I've spent you know fifteen twenty years of my life. Let's see, I started programming f- using the Microsoft stack in July of nineteen ninety, and this is after spending two years of working for Next. So I went from Objective C version one. The next step OS, mock, which I've kind of come back to in a sense, to the Windows world from 1990 up until, well, now, really. But, um, and for the longest time, the way your audience and myself would learn about the platform is with the, mo- the quarterly shipments of MSDN. Mm-hmm. You'd have, the, you know, maybe a couple of Microsoft magazines, your show, of course, and MSDN. And there's so much guidance provided by Microsoft, it was very easy just to stick to that path and get stuff done. In this wild west of the open web development world, it changes daily. I find myself using packages based on how popular they are, based on the number of forks, based on the number of recent commits, Mm. based on the number of stars. And that's both invigorating, but it's also challenging building applications this platform for businesses because it's a moving target constantly. You're building apps based on popularity, not based on necessarily best practices. Right. And that's something I've, you know, I've come to realize that. And it's super fun. But when you, in a daily, your platform is updating itself. And I use Brew to manage software installed on my computer. How do you spell that? B-R-E-W. It's Homebrew. Okay. And anyone that's doing development on a Mac probably knows Homebrew by now. It's equivalent of apt-git on Ubuntu. It's how you install packages. Hmm. And it's, um, but daily I see things, new formulas are coming online, old ones are going away, and the operating, the tools underneath are changing daily. And it's, it's challenging. New features are coming online, but it's, I think all this is, frankly, it's possible because of the 
the, the, the social coding around things like GitHub. And so I, I can t- it's very exciting to submit code into the world and have people submit bug requests and pull requests against it. And that, mm-hmm. I'm kind of late to that party. Um, but I only stumbled into Node after spending time with trying to learn Ruby and trying to learn Python. Right. And it just wasn't clicking. Um, yeah. and, I, and again, I only learned that because I like to keep my hands on the home keys. Right. I like to stay in the command line. It's that damn VI. <laughs> I, I can't unpro. By the way, ever thought sp- about using anything like oh I don't know text pad or no I can't it, no I've even for my VI this is how badass I am my VimRC no ops the arrow keys. <laughs> so, so if you try to use the arrow keys, they just don't work. <laughs> Eat some. <laughs> yes, caps lock is the. Con- I've remapped caps lock t- to control. That's great. So now there is a VI is that emulator because you hit it Studio. all the time when you want to hit control accidentally. Yeah. Or- Max got this stupid useless function key, the FN key. Yeah. Along with control, and I still can't figure out the difference between Alt and Option. Like, why are they called the same yeah, thing? Yeah, right. Exactly. Um. So moving between Mac and PC, which I do all the time. You can't copy and paste. You lose the ability to copy and paste because the command key and the control key are backwards. And if I try to copy something in Windows, it brings up the start screen. Huh. It's very, it's, it kills me. Why we couldn't have a one keyboard layout. Oh, God. Yeah. If right. only. Yeah, it makes this cross-platform stuff real difficult. And what's the story with a mouse on a Mac? Can you, do you have to use a Mac need- mouse or can you I plug hate- in any USB mouse that has... Two or you know two buttons and will it work? Yeah, you can use a lot of people use the Microsoft mice. They're really yeah. good. I use a Razer mouse, but I honestly I don't use a mouse. Yeah. Um, well, when I'm using my DOS keyboard, I, I'm sorry, I do. I use a Logitech G9, uh-huh. which is pretty old school. Um, but when I'm just using the laptop, I use the trackpad. But again, I don't like to take my hands off the home key. Yeah. So I have all these keyboard shortcuts to manipulate my screen real estate. And I use Alt Tab vigorously, hmm. vigorously. So I I lock, yeah. So not much, not a lot of mouse use, which is strange. It's 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 just a habit I have. It's like it's well, preferring a manually driven car with a stick shift. I just I love it. But I mean, like I said, it is very old school. The real question is productivity. Oh, you I'm know, completely this, inefficient. Yes. You feel like you're inefficient? No, I I enjoy trying to become more efficient which in and of itself is inefficient <laughs> so it's almost like the ritual is is comforting right yes it yeah. is yeah. and because i don't i'm not allowed to program on any project at vertigo <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, is that like my wife not being allowed to drink tequila is oh that gosh. sort of the same thing she's only allowed to drink bourbon <laughs> exactly nice yeah. um no so i do this uh, on my own so I'm, I'm learning the wild wonderful world of the web at home and you know then god I, sp- I don't know how many weeks i sunk into angular you guys talked about angular before sure we have yeah 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 we did a show a little while ago yeah. on angular do you love it i think i love it it's I, I love how they describe it they said if the web was designed for programming it would look like angular yeah and i thought that was very profound mm-hmm. um the web was not designed for programming and angular is trying to make it like that and if they succeed then we'll have a common framework for reusing custom HTML elements mm-hmm. and data binding. And using here's what I'm really excited about. Angular on the client. I'm I'm kind of excited about Yeoman for the back end. How do Yeoman you spell o- that? Y-E-O-M-A-N. Okay. 
Let me bring up the site. Yeah, it's yeoman.io. Now, Every time you call one of these out, I add it to the show notes. So there's there's a long list of links already. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, y- wait a minute. Y e o. Yeah. Y e o m a n dot i o. Dot i o. There it is. Okay. So let me let me explain what you're looking at here. Okay. So first of all, let's go back to Angular. Angular is a client side JavaScript library that makes that sits. It doesn't it doesn't augment the DOM like jQuery does. Mm-hmm. It's completely different. Mm-hmm. And by just kind of starting over and not even worrying about the DOM, it allows you to do some very interesting things around data binding on the client and asynchronous calls, callbacks, etc. It's it's very cutting edge. It's from it is from Google. Um, works cross cross platform. And it, it's showing a lot of promise. Now, forget client side for a minute. Let's go to the server side. Yeoman is a combination of three tools. Yo, Grunt, and Bower. Yo, you'll use 1% of the time. Yo is how you would start a new project. So let's talk about scaffolding for a second. And this is what just, it just blows me away in the open web world. Because on, on Windows, for example, if it's .NET 3.5, ASP.NET, you, you're pretty much your only choice is C Sharp versus vb.net and and your data mapping technology that's about it on on the map well on open web development especially if you're using these tools you can decide are we using angular or not are using twitter bootstrap or not are you using um gosh any number of mvc style frameworks for the client and all of a sudden you get this combinatorial explosion and this is just in the node world imagine tapping in with tagging ruby and Python to the mix. Um, are, do you for your for your state storage? Are you using Redis? Do you use MongoDB or some other NoSQL database? And so it gets very confusing. So Yo downloads a formula for a stack. So you can say, I want to build a new app using a stack from Scott. So if you type Yo space web stack dash, actually, you know what? I'll probably build a web stack for the MSRD website because I've invested a lot of time in that. I know it works. You could, when the MSRD website is done, msrd.io, I could publish my blueprint for that stack, which would be Node, um, Node Package Manager, a little bit of jQuery, um, a little bit of Angular, and, uh, and a dozen other things, like maybe some data storage in the background. And then you could create your Hello World, kind of your template framework using Yo, Space, and the name of my formula. But you do that once. Then you use Grunt, as a make file. So grunt is how you quote unquote compile your, your web app. And then finally use Bower to manage your client side libraries. And all of this is kind of, none of this stuff is probably more than a year and a half old. And hmm. grunt is, grunt is ugly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I've built my own grunt libraries and it's, it, it, it's, it's doing a lot of grunt work, but, but the thing I like about it with grunt, you can build a site that's statically compiled and is super lean. It, in fact, it. Hmm. I've got my grunt files, probably where a lot of my IP, my intellectual property would be on the web, um, fine-tuning the output of a website. So it's um, cookie-less or using static sites for serving up domain, uh, serving up, using cookie-less domains for static content. It's using version control for cache busting, using a SHA of the file. It's doing things like um, concatenating and minifying my JavaScript. It's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I have a release version and a debug version. So 
but it's still a web page, so a website. So it's, mm. it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Well, hold it, that thought right there, Scott, because Richard, you know what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time for me to grunt three times and say, yo, man, I'm going to bow her out of this discussion and give away some swag. Uh, save me. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> wow. That was genius. Thank oh, you. man. Yeah. You, you notice how he doesn't laugh. That was like that time I told a joke at a party and a woman stared at me and said, Oh, that is so funny. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, anyway, no, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Before I tell you who it is, I need to remind you that Telerik was one of the first vendors to provide support for Windows Azure back in early 2009 when the cloud platform was first released as the Cloud Trust Protocol. Yeah. Yeah, and they now offer everything needed to help .NET developers build quality web, desktop, and Windows Phone applications for the cloud quickly and easily right out of the box. Check out Telerik.com slash Azure and take the shortcut to Windows Azure development. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. And speaking of Azure, don't miss out on your chance to win a 2013 Aston Martin V8 Vantage. Just go to aka.ms slash Azure Rocks. To activate your MSDN subscription Azure credits, you've got them already. You've just got to use them. And as soon as you start using them, you're entered in the sweepstakes. You can win yourself a car. And I was thinking of a new project, Azure Speaking. Azure Speaking. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. my gosh. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. You're you on <laughs> fire today. No, that really stinks. It <laughs> really stinks. Well, okay. Today's winner is... Oh, is? where are my clappers? Where are my clappers? Get the clappers. The cleaning people took my clappers. Uh oh, you have to clap with your hands. How I'm going to have to clap with my hands. All right, you ready? Ready. It's Oren Walker. Ah, congratulations, Oren. Golf clap, clap for you, for sir. Oren Walker. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .nerox.com, click on the big get free stuff button, and you could win anything. Right. Are you going to give away a CD too? I am. Because Owen just got himself that Telerik DevCraft complete, which includes those Azure controls we were talking about. That's right. And we also have picked a winner of the Franklin Brothers Lifeboat to Nowhere award-winning album that took 10 years to produce. It's Tom Morgan. Ah, congratulations, Tom. Golf clap for you, too. Tom Morgan. Nice. All right. I so, like giving away stuff. What we just gave away there before the Franklin Brothers thing was Telerik's DevCraft Complete Collection. That's everything they do in one box. And uh, it, it's just a, a great deal. $2,000 deal. And uh, thousands of people have joined the fan club. And uh, every year in December, we're going to give away, and we are giving away, $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member. We'd like to ask our guests, Scott Stanfield, if you had five grand to drop on technology, not palm trees, <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, I could do that. What would it be? What would you buy? Oh my gosh, five grand on technology. Let's see. I, he'd probably get a new lens cap for his camera because that's about how much it would cost. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was going to say lens, maybe a lens. God, I'm like looking around. Well, I've got so much. I've got, I've got a Segway and Google Glass and and what's that other stupid thing? The uh, virtual reality thing that everyone's hot about. Oculus. All the twenty, uh, an, all the twenty dollars an hour developers listening right now are really pissed off at you for yeah. you know flaunting that. But uh, well, I know I sound like a total jerk saying that but none of like my glass is at home uncharged the oculus is in the box unopened my segway battery doesn't charge 
So I, you need honest, a charging platform is what you need. You need a charging platform. <laughs> I'd, probably, I'd probably spend the five grand on a table saw. Really? So that you could cut the Segway in half and, and yeah. beat the or Oculus like, with it? What would I not do? Because, I mean, I look around like, what do I really need all 15 cameras for when I just use my iPhone for pictures? Well, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's uh, something that you don't have yet. I'm starting to come to the realization that surrounding yourself by all this technology does not make you happier. <laughs> You're starting. <laughs> it just makes you run out of plugs to charge stuff. Well, and it also just makes you look around and say, oh, yeah, I got to use that and I got to use that. And there's no time. So maybe you could buy yourself some time. I'd probably buy a couple of cases of 2005 Burgundy. Oh, yeah, they're good. Nice. Some wine. And save that. And then when I'm older and I look back on the foolish mistakes I made by like buying the glass, buying the Oculus, I'll at least enjoy washing away my memories with some really good wine. You know, Scott, this speaks to your personality, which is you're, you know, even though you have the money for a lot of stuff, you're really into experiences. I've noticed this about you. You know, you're into the. A hospitality uh, thing with the sommelier thing. Are you a sommelier? It's it's sommelier. Sommelier. Yes, but it's just it's a fancy French word for wino. Are you a wine guy yet? <laughs> or do you I have a, a a license? I have the certificate for the level one sommelier from the court of master sommeliers. Yeah. Yes. So I know so this about you. You're into I the experiences a, more than the stuff. I have a license to be even more of a prick than I already said. <laughs> It just <laughs> all it means is that people defer to me when we're at a restaurant and I get to pick the wine that usually other people are paying for. Now I'd like to see you and Richard talk about talk to the sommelier, uh, sommelier. because I have seen Richard beat these guys up. And uh I, I know that you probably would do it in a in a a, yeah. a, a more pleasant way. I don't know, Richard, you're always pleasant when you talk to the sommelier. <laughs> not when that guy had that crappy wine list. That well, was not good. Yeah, that was well, at a Morton's or something like that, and he had no Argentinian wines at a steakhouse. Yeah. That's that's a shame. Um, it, has been, it has become kind of a cliche to have Argentinian wine or Malbecs in general to, uh, for a steakhouse. However... But they're good. There is, they're very good. Uh, uh, it turns out we're the world is making very good wine now. People yeah. care about it, yeah. and there's a lot more thought given to vinification and just letting wine kind of do its own thing. But but here's the thing: I I would encourage you guys. So we're all passionate about technology. There's a world of sommeliers that are passionate about geography and geology, and and grapes and and farming basically. Mm-hmm. And they're called sommeliers. And there's the top tier. I'm level one. There's the level four which is called a master sommelier. And there's only about a hundred and now at this point, maybe about 165 of these in the world. And there's a movie right now called the top Psalm. And um, it's about the struggles of four people to pass what is known to be one of the world's hardest tests. The pass rate is about 5% and you have to be invited to take it in the first place. It is one of the hardest tests in the world to pass. And um, there's a, there's a really good movie about it right now. And it's a, it's a fascinating glimpse into a culture that we tend to not overlap with, mm. but it shares a lot of characteristics of aesthetics and experience. And ultimately, choosing a wine is about hospitality and making someone feel comfortable. And when I'm with a group of people, I'm just so happy when they enjoy themselves. And if it's wine that helps it happen, that's great. If it's, uh, you know, if, it, if it's the right local beer, that's great. Or if it's none of the above, it's fine. But it's part of it is just, I think it's because I'm from Georgia and there's hospitality in my roots. I, I like that aspect of it. Yeah. Now I'm thirsty. So let's get back to Yeoman, the Yo oh, gosh. Grunt you know, for, Bauer for, for, combination. For anything I, 
whatever I just said back there, it's all going to change in two months anyway. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so really, all these people have gone out and installed it while we were talking no, about uninstall wine. it. So let me. So that was valuable about thirty minutes ago, but now the new hot thing. <laughs> seriously, the the only thing that's important to your audience in this is yeah. learning how to learn. Yeah, I agree. Learning how to learn because whatever you are an expert today, you're going to be ashamed of it in the future. True. Kind yeah, of have you ever gone back and looked at one of your old apps and gone, wow, I was a genius. But but Scott, why are you still <laughs> using Emacs what? and, and uh, you well, know? That's the weird thing is it turns out that typing is timeless. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could give a whole show on customizing VI. I love yeah. it. It's You know what it is? It's programming your source code. Yeah. You were literally programming your source code if that makes sense it's a weird feeling and it, there's a certain i've kind of sensed a little bit of git nirvana recently when mm-hmm. i finally figured out after a year using git by yourself is pointless but when you use it with a team that knows what they're doing i've never actually looked forward to, to code reviews before until we started using github mm. github code reviews on on a hangout was so much fun in a weird it, i can't describe it it was just it was cool and then i feel that same way about vi and it's just you can cruise through it and do – you can do simple stuff easily and hard stuff easily. Mm. So, actually, some of the simple stuff is very hard to do now that I think of it. But anyway, mm. yeah. So, Grunt, Yeoman, Bauer, just throw out acronyms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and I, I love the the Yeoman aspect, especially the Yo part of figuring out the controls, the the tool suite. Is that to me, you know, we're, we're giving this fruit salad of terms for all these different tools and actually yes. figuring out which ones work together is scary. It, it, it's really scary. That's why you think of this as, they call it scaffolding, but, but yo would be the thing. Like when, if I ever finished the MSRD it's like the website, Rails thing. it is, it, yeah. it actually, that's a good point. Rails made Ruby popular. Rails right. was the scaffolding. Yep. Right. No, and, and you're done. You're, you're done. But in the Node world, there's no such thing really as Rails yet. There's Express, which is which is very much a kind of a MVC style routing framework for web development. But Express alone, on top of of, of Node, is not the only thing you need. And and so we we're very quickly rising above the 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 Maslow's hierarchy of needs when it comes to web development. So we we got this base level of existence with Node and JavaScript. And then you keep working your way up and finally get to this self-actualization that you realize that everything you know right now will be obsolete in six months. I have a question for you. And this may be, I don't know, too technical for our discussion or maybe irrelevant for many people, I don't know. But I'm going to throw it out there anyway. So if you, if you use Node and you want to, um, you know, you're on port 80, Let's say that you want to do something that you would have done with a Sockets app, you know, 10 years ago. Maybe you've got like these four-byte packets that you just want to send and then pass on or do something like that. Or, you know, you're dealing with a little bit of data. It needs to be really fast and you don't want all the overhead of HTTP. Can I use Node on port 80 without wrapping everything in HTTP? Oh, absolutely. In fact, Node doesn't know anything about HTTP. Okay. Um, well, there is a separate library that you can pull in, but Node is, is lower. It's one level below HTTP. So it is all about non-blocking, right. socket-driven I.O. All right. So it then just, that brings me to this question. And Richard, you'll probably answer this one. Are today's routers and, uh, yeah, today's routers filtering out uh, packets that are on port 80 that are not wrapped in HTTP? 
No, I don't think so. I mean, we, we do, we do run this because port 80 is like the everything port. Yeah. You generally can't close it off, but we get into this whole routine of doing stateful inspection. Yeah. So in other words, port 80 is a way of saying, I need my site to go slow. Because because you have this constant overhead from the security side trying to figure out what is it you're passing here, right, right, and shifting up to 443, which is HTTPS, is a way to get around that. I've also, see people just take the website and move it to port 8080 just to get away <laughs> from the the packet filtering, right. But um, you know, I, you, that's almost archaic now. We're sort of thinking about these problems differently again. Uh, yeah. That and and eighty is just not as big a deal as it used to be. It's you can you contain things at a different level now. Yeah, absolutely. I th- I think it's it's almost irrelevant. Everything is over eighty, and it's really the stateful inspection that, that makes this stuff interesting. But I tend to stop at that. I mean, I I like to live at a little bit higher on the the ISO stack. Yeah. Um. By the way, this is like an. I got Can I throw? Can I change topics for a second? Yeah, sure. I don't know how I could ask your audience for a question, but I have an opportunity to come up with a computer science curriculum for a bunch of high school students, and school starts in a, in a couple in about a month and a half, and I'm thinking, where do you start? And um, I've realized that I think people right off the bat, you should set up a, a box in the cloud that you can get access to access to from anywhere. Um, and then very quickly try to de- deploy something, even if it's hello world to the web. So you can take that home and show your friends and family because mm. our school is switching to iPads this year. Right. And it, it's kind of got me thinking like as a reflect back, how do, how does one teach people that kids that want to learn programming? Where do you start? Do you even start with a language? Do you start with understanding the world of devices in the cloud? How do you look ahead? Do you just focus on one? Focus on Python, you know, get rid of the curly braces and control flow. Don't worry about asynchronous programming. Do a Fibonacci sequence in Python just to learn control flow. But I realize a lot of people have come before me in thinking about how you teach high school kids, but I'm now thrust into a position where I have a chance to advise and and, and lead on this. The only anecdote that I can offer comes from my stepdaughter who took last year in uh, as a junior in high school uh, introduction to HTML and JavaScript web programming. Yeah. Now I was thinking they were going to open up Notepad and you know do HTML, but the guy used Dreamweaver. Oh no! Really? Yeah. Dreamweaver. You know what I? And you so know what I would and do. so now the the stepdaughter wants to actually create a website mm. for her you know baking stuff and doesn't know how because doesn't have Dreamweaver and even if she did she still doesn't know how so. Yeah. There's the there's problem number one. It's like you know when I asked her this morning, I asked her, I said, "Don't don't uh, didn't they pull up a notepad and just show you what basic HTML looks like?" No, yeah, and then yeah. would uh, would also give bad grades based on style, and oh, and I'm talking about oh no that doesn't look good. Add some more, add some more stuff, or no that color isn't right. Well, th- thankfully, the current design trend is very minimal and flat, no gradients, which is a plus. So it makes it the current design thinking. The that current, just disturbed the, the, the idea of doing introductory programming and caring about style at all. Well, and now, yeah, not only that, but grading on it because the guy yeah. doesn't like a color or something like yeah. that, you know. Yeah, that's just a bad class. It's just a bad you class. You know, I'm thinking back to the show we did with uh, Lynn Langett and Llewellyn Falco. It's uh, 868, Teaching Kids to Program. Yeah. Oh, really? Wait, 868, okay. 
Yeah, and they've got the they put out a pl- a free plural site course, so you can actually go and and watch that. They're working in C sharp, uh-huh. but you know they're really teaching the fundamentals of programming there, and that I think that's pretty cool. You know, as a, as a, as a starting point, getting into web development, you know, is a whole other thing. Well, that's okay. So let's talk about that for a second because I I have a core belief that I think the students will be more engaged if it's something that they can share quickly. I agree, and I think sharing your results via the web is super powerful. You don't have to build a native app because then you have to install it. But right, uh, so I, I'm trying to tie. So how what's the minimum amount of programming you need to build a web app that you can share? Yeah, so because the angle they're going down is building games, which kids like. Yeah, but web, yeah. you get that bigger reach piece. I think is pretty powerful. And and once you get into game programming, now you have are you, and then trying to do it with the web, you realize it's very creaky, creaky. Yeah. It's uh, it would be very tough. Um, I I'm not sure what to do. Um, I'm oh. taking a Coursera class. Do you guys know about Coursera? Tell us. No. Coursera was um, it's like the the webby startup of the year. It's actually started by Andrew Ng, who's a professor at Stanford. And he, he, I took a very early class from him on Coursera on machine learning about mm. a year and a half, actually about a year ago. Coursera is a platform for online learning that's really popular with higher education. And so I'm taking an online class right now. In fact, I'm late on every single homework assignment, but the first one I've been late. But I have to submit a homework assignment for a class called Startup Engineering. So I'm taking the over the summer with my 16-year-old, taking a class on startup engineering just to see how they teach it. And it's fascinating. First of all, there are 115,000 people signed up for this class. Wow. I'm in a class. So think about that. There are 115,000 of us taking one class at the same time. Every week, there's a new set of video lectures, a PDF of the lecture, and a series of notes and homework assignments in a forum. And then I have to submit my assignments that are checked by a computer for veracity, the output. And and what they do the very first day, this is really interesting. For the first week, your first assignment is to create a GitHub account, an AWS account, and and a um, Heroku account. Nice. You you create um, a Linux instance using Ubuntu, whatever the latest stable instance of Ubuntu, and they teach you, it doesn't matter if you're coming from a Mac, a PC, or another Unix box, you shell into that Ubuntu box, you create a Hello World in Node, you save your project in GitHub, and you publish to Heroku, and then you submit the Hello World Heroku URL and your GitHub uh, source repository, Master SHA. And that's the first assignment. Well, this is definitely the way of the future, um, sort of, video combined with uh you know interactivity you i've been thinking about this a long time there's so many lectures that could just be video that Mm -hmm. you why if you're in a college you know especially your first year at university you sit in these 400 people lectures that the guy's given nine million times you don't have an opportunity to interact really and so why you might as well be watching a video because if you miss something while you're sitting there that's it. It's gone. The moment's gone. Yeah. But if you're it, watching it online, and then when you do get together in class, you can actually talk about it and contribute and interact. It is the future of higher ed. There's there's the massively online colleges. And, and I think there's a few really leading the way, like MIT, Stanford, some of the top big brands. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're a second or th- more or a third tier 
I, I bet if you're a third tier college, you're okay because you're yeah. catering to a local a local audience. If you're or or maybe a vocational audience, if you're a second tier, mid tier college, mm. you you got to be thinking about using and reaching out digitally. And I, I've been really impressed with Coursera um, as a platform for doing that. Um, I'm only on my second class. I didn't even complete the first one. Hmm. So again, I like to start a lot of things. Like I'm looking at my my poor Raspberry Pi, which I haven't <laughs> I haven't powered this puppy up in ages. I feel so guilty. Oh, but um, it doesn't care. I've, again, if something needs power, eventually it just rots in my office. Um, unless it's powered by caffeine, that's the only reason I'm still here. <laughs> Is that a show? We're yeah, pretty close. Uh, where are we going to see you next, Scott? Uh, you, you doing some node talks, that sort of thing? I don't know. No one asked me to speak anymore. Aww. And nice. Aww, you never Scott. call. You never write. I know. <laughs> I'll just read in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> Put your Oculus goggles on and stare <laughs> off into virtual space. It's very awkward to ride the Segway with the Oculus. <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of stares, uh, <laughs> especially when you hit the ground. Yeah, uh, I, I, I know. I'm I'm going to come back out and speak. I'd like to talk to the to the Microsoft programmers that are trying to make it work on the Mac. I care about web open web technology. I like hosting on Azure. It's a great platform. I just happen to build stuff, you know, build that on the Mac and host with GitHub. It's it's a polyglot world. I, I mean, know what you can do with your five grand, dude. What you you, you take your shed that's in your backyard. Yes. You, Richard, you know Scott's shed. You turn yep. it into a charging room. <laughs> Wireless <laughs> charging for all your devices. I could, Anything you park you in there gets charged. You just park it in charged. there, and the next time you pull it out, it's charged. I do have a big shed. I could do that. Yeah. I did. Uh, I gotta, I'm going to be posting a video of that party that we had at Build. It was pretty epic. Awesome. That Scott, would be good. it's always great talking to you. Likewise. And keep doing awesome things and inspiring us. Thank you. All right. And we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van by the FCC, yes, I'm a